Hi, I'm Jake Warner. Uh, I'm Cycle CEO and founder. Welcome to the, I think, sixth or seventh version of our podcast. Uh, today we have uh, David Demko and Walt Rubio uh, from Vulture joining us. Uh, welcome, guys. Yep. And... Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. This is great. Yeah, no, I, I'm super excited. Uh, and for, for everyone who, who might be new to Cycle or learning about us for the first time, um, so we've been working with Vulture for almost like two and a half years now as a, as a partner. Um, and uh, we've been supporting uh, Vulture's, bare metal, or sorry, Vulture's virtual machines uh, since I think like late 2018. And so uh, as we've been as we've been doing this podcast series, uh, we've been we've been really eager to be able to get the, the Vulture team involved as part of this. And we have some announcements coming out and we can dive into those as we go through this podcast. Uh, but really excited to, to, to have the Vulture team here. And so I guess diving right in. So um, so I, I think first would be uh, I, I think our audience would love to hear about uh, what you guys do at Vulture. Uh, what does the day to day look like? And just just starting with that yeah okay so i'll start so vulture has 17 locations and they're growing and we think that and we think that cycle is a great partner just to run containers easily on top of the vulture infrastructure um so you know in terms of what we do and what our day and what our day today is like right now we're expanding globally uh well we're already located in 17 locations globally but we're expanding uh you know every few months we're you know continually uh, that we're continually adding new pops and the team is growing and our infrastructure is growing too, which is why we said that, that, uh, that our partnership with, with cycle is a perfect marriage for what we want to offer our customers and, uh, you know, giving them, uh, the best choices that, you know, we think that are in the world of cloud computing today. No, no, that, 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 that's excellent. And, and so, so, so Walt, as, as obviously with, with, with that intro, you are a, a, the, the developer advocate for, for Vulture, right? Yeah. And so as that, as a developer advocate, what does, you know, like, obviously, you know, Vulture, you know, growing company doing a lot of things. What is, what does your job look like on, you know, that day to day? What is, what do you, what do you, is there any yeah. challenges that came along with your job that you weren't expecting? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so my challenges right now, well, so I've been at Vulture for about five or six weeks now. And so my day to day right now is just getting up on everything of like learning what like the company culture is like, learning what our infrastructure does, learning of how we can maybe improve or, you know, doing like customer outreach. So as the developer advocate at Vulture, I'm basically the liaison between the marketing team and the development team, which is where David come, come where which is where which is where David comes in at. Um, and so I guess like my day to day right now is we're doing a lot of like marketing pushes. So we're doing things like we're going to be growing out our like YouTube channel. So uh, you know things just like this, like with a podcast or video. Um, you know, cast is that we're just trying to do more like customer outreach and trying to give value adds to either our viewers on YouTube or people who are on our Twitter stream trying to like learn more about what we do. Uh, so sometimes it's making ads. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe working more with the marketing team of what our messages is, uh, are, or what our messages are. Um, and then sometimes it's with the development team of maybe, uh, you know, just trying to like learn more about what our pipeline is and how to best convey that to our future uh, like prospective clients. 
No, and, and that makes complete sense. And I, so, so before we before we continue, uh, I I learned recently that you have a, a pretty deep background in music, and I saw the the project that you're working on on YouTube. Uh, so one, can you can you shed some light on that? I know it's a a, a bit of a, a a tangent, or sorry, not a tangent, but a deviation from from. Uh, from Vulture, but uh, it'd be interesting to share with the users. And then from that, how did you end up getting into tech and working at an infrastructure company? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I have a whole like I joke around is like that my blood is made of like one hundred percent, you know, just like social media. So like that that's basically like where like I come from. I was like one of the first people to join Twitter. I was on YouTube back in two thousand five uh, when I first started. It might, might have been the beginning of, of two thousand six. Um, so I went to school for music, then I started a YouTube channel because it was like the new thing back in 2006 and, you know, I was just like, oh, I think this, I think, I think that, that, that this whole like internet thing is going to be like a pretty big deal. So I did that for about, you know, eight, nine, ten years and then it came uh, time to when I decided to like go back and like double down on my coding skills. I, in 2012, I bought my first Arduino and then I started just writing C++. Um, and then after, I guess, maybe seven, eight years of doing that, I said, you know, let me just double down and do, you know, like code some of like the pianos and stuff that I've been wanting to do, um, you know, just like hard code my music uh, knowledge into, you know, just doing code. So that went pretty well. And then uh, after the pandemic hit, uh, quite a few companies wanted to, to know, were trying to connect with people who knew how the internet worked. So uh, it, it, that's when the idea of like, oh, maybe I would be a really good like developer advocate because I understand developing and I understand like social media marketing. So it's kind of like that marriage of those two things. And then when Vulture reached out to me, um, I met the team. And in fact, I met David too. And uh, I was kind of sold. So uh, yeah, that's, that's basically how it happened. So that's like the past 10, 15 years. And then in terms of like what I do, uh, like my orchestra thing, I do, I do have a whole like kind of like music background that uh that's like my like five to nine and then vulture <laughs> is like my like you know like nine to five so i got these like two passions that take up both you know both times of my days no that, that that's that's super interesting I, I took a look at some of the stuff and i was like i was like there's, there's a lot happening here but um <laughs> as, as we dive back to to, to to vulture uh so uh so david uh you know i uh, would love to hear about what you what your day-to-day is at vulture your position and the things that you're sure. involved in yeah, so uh, I'm the technical lead for cloud native development, um, and that's kind of a, a broad term, right? Um, what me and my team kind of maintain is we maintain the entirety of Vulture open source. So everything you see on GitHub, um, managed load balancers is also another product we maintain. Um, API v2 was something that we spearheaded um, and also kind of took charge and, and did that. And uh, recently, the release of the Vulture Kubernetes engine, which is a managed Kubernetes offering. So it it sounds like a lot, and it is a lot, but uh, that's kind of like the scope of what you know me and my team uh, kind of look at day to day, and the projects kind of shift or priorities kind of shift around depending on what needs attention at at that point in time. So as, as, as you said that you work with a lot of the open source tools and things that, yeah. that, Vulture, uh, that Vulture has been, been building and, and, and working with, um, obviously, you, you, know, you had mentioned that you know, you're, you're in charge of a lot of the repos, or, so your team is responsible for a lot of the repos that end up on Vulture, or sorry, on, on GitHub. Um, and so uh, can, you, can you dive into some of those, those projects that, that you open source back to the community? Yeah, so it all started with uh, our, the Go client. 
Um, the, the first thing we did uh, for GitHub was we created a, a, a Go client that just wrapped API v1 at the time. Um, and that was, I would say that's the foundation for a lot of our open source tooling, because with that Go client, we were then able to extend it out and, you know, implement a Terraform provider and then also implement a, a Packer plugin. Um, also the Vulture CLI is written in, in that Go client. So a lot of the tools that you see on our, are currently on our GitHub page, um, the backbone of most of them, if not all of them, is, is the Go client. So that was the first thing we did. Um, and then we also took some, some other routes where, you know, we have a, Volt, uh, a node client. And the node client was actually a, a user or a customer of Vulture that started writing it on their own. Um, and we kind of reached out and said, hey, this is a this is a great you know library. Would you like to kind of give ownership to Vulture, but also continue maintaining it? Um, and they agreed. So you know, th there's a sense of community with with our open source where you know not only do we give a good amount back and we maintain all of these tools and repositories actively, some of them are also products of our customers where they kind of built it and we, we recognized the need for it and we thought, hey, this is really cool. So Vulture Node is one of those um, repositories where it's a it's an official Vulture product, but it's also maintained by a third by the community, by a third party uh, developer. And so, uh, as, as jumping jumping to that that Go client for the API. Um, mm -hmm. So back in 2018, when we when we were integrating uh, with Vulture, we had used the version one of the API. And uh, about a month and a half ago, maybe even two months ago, we 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 migrated everything over to the version two client. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was it, the the new client is so clean. I, I love it. And actually, we were able to move everything from version one to version two in about three and a half hours. Um, and That's so- Pretty quick. Uh, no, no I, I mean, it was, it was, it was really nice how, how easy it was to integrate. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd love to hear, like you know, as, a, as a developer who, who saw that transition of going from one to two and, uh, and, and just literally that, um, I, I I know like or I can I kind of get a, a feeling or a vibe for some of the things that you wanted to implement or you wanted to standardize around. Um, mm -hmm. But as as your team being the team to help build that, uh, I'd love to hear like when you when when you and your team sat down to say, hey, we're going to build version two. What were the main things and like the criteria that you wanted to implement as part of that? Like uh, like what was the focus of or I guess a better way of saying it was what was the reason you went to a version two as opposed to just iterating on a version one. So, you know, my, a large part of my background before getting into cloud native development was particularly around public API, API design. Um, so there was always a pet peeve of mine of, of API v1. API v1 was good. It, it served the purpose. A lot of people used it, um, but it was, a, it, was, it was very much a product of its time. It was written, you know, when Vulture was first started, and that's kind of how API design was written at the time. Um, you know, as we all know, technology constantly changes and the current paradigms, the current standard way of doing things change constantly. So we noticed when we started implementing tools or start when we wrote that Go client and then we went to go incorporate Terraform, Packer, all these tools, we noticed that the API while usable was also not as flexible as, as we wanted to. If you look at modern APIs, you know, currently th there's certain things they all kind of have, um, whether that be, you know, the URI design is very clear cut. Um, 
consistent return types, uh, the structure of the return times being full JSON and the data that you send being JSON. Um, and there were a lot of things uh, we also wanted to kind of improve upon there. So like URI design, um, the structure of the requests and the responses, and also to standardize and kind of make everything JSON across the board. So in V1, a lot of the API responses of errors came back as strings. So while that's good, if you're writing in loosely typed languages, once you start getting into Go or Java or any language that's strictly, uh, strictly typed, you run into the issue where you start to break the, these, these structures that you kind of define to interact with, with these objects. So a lot of the, the use case for V2 was just usability and extensibility. Um, and, and you said it yourself with V2, it was, it, a lot of developers kind of expect that out of an API these days. So it's, it was quite easy for you to get in there and update everything because it's, it's clear across the board. Um, and also V1 had very good documentation for the API. And that's another trend we wanted to also continue for V2 was make the API as usable, as friendly, and with as much information as there. So even if you are, if there is a new product or a new feature, it's very easy to hit the API and kind of see how it behaves and incorporate it at the end of the day. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean, so much of that makes sense. Like I said, especially as an implement, uh, as an integrator with your API, uh, there's mm -hmm. so many things uh, that I have, uh, that I've seen that I uh, that I love about the version two. Uh, one of the biggest things is I, I love that it is, uh, more uh, strictly typed, or, or the 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 data structs that you're getting are more yeah. of what you expect, right? Because like there's, I know in the version one, there's a couple times where you're like you're getting an integer, but it's always a string, right? Um, and so it's nice that with version two, uh, you're getting exactly what you'd expect if it's an int. You're, you know, you're expecting the data type to be an int, um, and right. so uh, it's it's been much more. Uh, reliable to integrate with because we didn't have to like on our side we didn't have to do like string to int conversions and back and forth and things like that 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 was one of the one of the not pain points but something we had to work around with with go so like when we wrote that go client that's when we started to notice a lot of these uh behaviors that are kind of funky sometimes where we had to with the json on marshaller for go we had the right custom marshallers and unmarshallers for almost every strut in, in our Go client because the behavior was so, not, I don't want to say inconsistent, but a bit, it was where the behaviors would change here and there. Um, that, that was a big portion of it too. Another thing that we also kind of streamlined was pagination. So before on V1, there were some calls that would just return all of your data. Um, for example, the instance list call. That, that was a pretty large call. If you had a lot of instances, you would just kind of get everything thrown at you. And then you as the integrator developer would have to loop through it. And it was just, again, it was usable, but there are ways to make it more extensible and easier to use for, you know, the developer, the integrator, like yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, makes, makes complete sense. Uh, one thing I am curious about, uh, I mean, I, I agree with the move, but I'm curious of, uh, the reasoning behind it is when you went from version one to version two, you changed how the IDs are instead of it being an auto incrementing yeah. ID. I think you're using what you, UUID like version three or something. Were you, yeah, so when we went from API v1 to v2, we actually converted all of the IDs to uh, UUID version four. Um, the reason, I don't remember the reason for it. I think there was just a, a bit of a discussion to streamline all of the IDs across the board. Um, in some places we had string IDs, in some places we had the integer based IDs. So we kind of decided, hey, like 
what better time than now to streamline all of these IDs into a single format. So it, it makes things a bit easier um, to, to always know that whatever you're, whatever you're working with, you're going to have that UUID across the board. So I know firewalls, for example, use string-based IDs um, with a few characters while uh, instances were, were ints. So this just, again, this was just part of that streamlining decision where we said, hey, like, we have an opportunity now to really improve and streamline everything. So let's let's also do that with the IDs and just make it a universal uh, UUID version four across the board. Yeah. No. I, I, I again, one of those things that makes complete sense. Like, uh, like I already said, like I, I'm uh, the version two uh, API. I, I'm I, I have a lot of good things to say. Uh, it was it was so easy to implement and it was it was predictable, right? Like you. That, I mean, I yes. think it was make, make it boring, the, right? Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, yeah. it was predictable. You knew exactly what you're going to get, yeah. um, and so, so you know, I, I appreciate the the efforts that you've that you've uh, that you put in for that you and your team have put in for that. Um, but as so as we continue, I know that so by the time this podcast goes live, uh, Cycle will have enabled support for uh, Vulture's bare metal, and I know that's something. But we've been working on with a number of people from from your team on on, on those efforts. Um, and I know that you have a, a new server that a new server type uh, that you had just uh, added to or mm -hmm. sorry a new server type that you just began to support, and uh, it looks like a really powerful server. Um, Cycle already Cycle supports it already, but we'll publicly support it when this goes live. And so I guess kind of bridging that that uh, bridging you know those, those conversations um, when I was integrating some of the bare metal stuff to be able to to support it. Um, for those who, uh, who for those who are, are watching this and and this might be your, your first you know uh, encounter with with cycle um, one of the big things about cycle is that with whenever a customer deploys a cycle server we use cycle OS and cycle OS is uh, just a small op operating system built on top of Alpine um, that is made specifically for running containers and that operating system always boots vi pixie and so uh, as we were going through this integration process, uh, we, we, we realized that um, there was something that was missing from the version two API that was just the ability to say, hey, not, not just the first time the server boots, but every time uh, from every time that server reboots ever in the future, we wanted to pull that same iPixie endpoint. And uh, our team had to reach out to, to your team and, uh, and get that added. And um, so I, I guess, you know, I don't know how much we can go into with that capacity, but um, can you walk through maybe at a high level of what does that look like when uh, there's a, a new feature request that comes in towards the API? Um, and like, how does that communication happen within your team um, without, without, without getting anything, without getting into anything? Yeah, sure. You know. <laughs> So, I mean, the way it usually works is, you know, you, you submitted the, a request and it's a, it's a valid request. It's a useful request. So like right off the bat, we, we kind of evaluate, like, this is actually a really cool feature. And, and not only you have a use case for it, chances are there's probably plenty of other people who would also be like, this is awesome. Let's, you know, so that kind of gets us excited because now we can kind of look at how can we expand and make bare metal better, more usable, more, more, just give it more options to make it a really standout product. So when a request like that comes in specifically around bare metal, there's a fantastic bare metal team that, um, works around integrating, adding more features, expanding it. So the request usually comes into that specific team, whoever owns that product. Um, and they start the integration process, building it out, making sure, you know, it works all that fun stuff. And then 
we start collaborating cross teams. So, you know, the, the bare metal team reaches out to, to my team. We look at the API. We look at what's the best way to design the API. What's the URI structure going to look like? What's the response request? Uh, and then we kind of just, you know, meld the two together where the products are usually a bit dark deployed or, or they're there. And we just kind of have to flip the switch and integrate the API to, to that functionality. Um, across teams. So with this request, that's exactly how it worked where, you know, your request came in and it was brought to the bare metal team's attention. It was brought to my attention that, Hey, we're going to have to support this at some point. Um, and that's, you know, we, we try to do some preliminary work ahead of time looking at like, okay, what's the behavior? What's, what's the structure going to look like? Well, try, like you said, make it predictable make it boring in a way that if we do release this endpoint, you can look at it and kind of have an idea. All right, that that makes total sense, and you expect it to behave the way it does. So, that's usually how the request process works for new features. Is it goes to the according the uh, appropriate team, and then my team handles the API integration uh, and collabs with them. So, uh, with kind of on on on, on uh, right in line with the the feature request uh, component. Um, this is something that is always very difficult uh, for because like so before I, I started Cycle years ago, I was working for an in infrastructure provider called SingleHop, which has since been acquired and things like that. But uh, I was on their API team. And one of the things that was always really interesting was compatibility breaking changes or deprecation of calls. And yeah. is that something that you've had to deal with yet? Um, Within within either version one or version two, and what was kind of the uh, if 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 that if you did have to go through that process, was there anything that like it's um, it's yeah. a it's a great question, right? So it, it's always on my mind, um, and I, I I try to avoid any type of breaking changes for any API um, because the downstream impact could be next to nothing, or it could be actually catastrophic. Um, because I, it's hard to tell, to know how many use, we, we have an idea, but it's hard to, to tell, you know, if we make this one change, how bad would it be for someone that we're not aware of how they're integrating with it? So we always, we always take a lot of these request changes and, and try to really examine them. Like something like this, it's new behavior. It's not a problem, but if we're looking at new behavior or trying to expand the behavior, my, my first priority my first thought is like can we introduce this without breaking it for anyone because that's it we, we all know how certain apis in the past not naming names have just completely changed the api and it's good luck um so luckily enough we haven't had an issue where we've had to introduce a breaking change to version two um we've been able to work around them by enhancing certain responses and certain requests to either add a new field um, or have an existing field there deprecated, but start pushing, nudging people to say, hey, like there's there's this new field, you should probably start using this one in the meantime, you know, at some point. We'll, we haven't done it yet, but we have introduced new fields and kind of nudge people to use a new behavior um, without removing the old one yet, because we can't just go ahead and remove it. but. Luckily, we haven't had any breaking changes, and I hope it stays that way, um, because that's that's a, that's a big concern for API development. Um, how do we prevent causing headaches for people? 
Yeah, I mean that. Especially, you know, I mean, I think it's a problem that both of our companies have. Is you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we have a lot of companies that are super, 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 super integrated with Cycles API, and and the the, the nice thing about Cycles API is that um, when a company is integrating with us, they can say, hey, I want a you know. I, I want a new container deployed and they can say, hey, I just, you know, I want this to be just deployed on Vulture. And if they have stuff running at three or four of your locations or whatever, or some of it's bare metal and some of it's virtual machines, uh, of course they can get really specific and say, hey, I only want this deployed to this location on this type of server, um, or even just target a specific server. But it's really neat because at the same time, these companies can say, hey, you know, here's uh, here's this container, just run it over at Vulture and the cycle can, uh, can choose where it needs to live and things like that. But it's really interesting because uh, we, I mean, just along the same lines with that incompatibility issue, it, there's so many times where it's like you get feature requests and it's like, like that could be a good feature, but you have to right. almost say no because like, well, we don't want to make the the API you know too complex. We don't want to introduce so much functionality. Like you, like, I like how you said earlier of of keep it boring, right? Like it should be predictable. Yeah. It should be boring. Um, I think that's a, a great way a, a great way of of looking at it. Um, but uh, so as as you know, as you, you mentioned that you're a a, a lead developer um, uh, at Vulture, uh, can you give us any hints of uh, you or Walt give us any hints of some things that are coming down the the pipeline for for new things we should be expecting? Um, we definitely have a bunch in our pipeline. Some of it maybe, some of it maybe a little too early to to kind of. Um hint at or announce, but uh, there's definitely exciting things in the pipeline that would further how you could use Vulture, right? Um, we're always looking to, you know, our core audience, our, our developers, companies who want to integrate, they, they need a platform. So we definitely keep an eye out and an open mind for how can we improve this whole experience and how can we, you know, offer more to the developer and really give them a platform that they can trust and use. Yeah, and so there are two things that I can maybe like allude to. One is, uh, well, I'll just start. Um, so first of all, we have more locations that we're going to be adding in the future. I can't name any names yet, but we're always just trying to maybe just like do more like expansion. So uh, you know, just look for that in the future. And also, uh, we have a new bare metal SKU. So we have a new one hundred and eighty-five dollar per month plan. Uh, and, you know, as you had talked about before about like the benefits of like bare metal, um, it's great because that there's no, so there's no like virtualization. It's just the raw physical machine. Uh, and then there's like no overhead from, you know, like any other, you know, like tenants or, you know, like just like, there's just like no other like noise there. So, uh, I guess like those are like the two things, uh, is the bare metal SKU and we're always, you know, uh, looking into adding more SKUs in the future and then, uh, you know, like any like future like pop locations. So uh, more on that in the future, but nothing to announce here. So uh, with so so uh, with, with the amount of locations that Vulture has, um, which is something that uh, like we have we have a couple of companies that are using Cycle, and then they're working towards the idea of being able to almost almost use like all of Vulture's locations to almost build their own edge service. Um, so it's neat, like they'll have this one container, they'll say, hey, Cycle, you know, distri- distribute this to, to every single location that Vulture supports. And so it's neat to be able to, uh, to have that many locations where people can, or these companies can start to build almost edge-like, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, like an edge, like a, almost, almost like a CDN, but like, 
uh, actually, that, that's still a term that is, is, is still confused me. Like, what's the difference between edge and CDN other than the fact that I think one is like includes compute and the other is purely just like distribution of files. But <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you guys can, can help me answer that question. Cause to me, I mean, I think it's, I think it's roughly the same thing. Or maybe it's just more or less. I'd say, yeah. I would say more or less, but no, you have a good point. Like it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, your platform does the same thing that kind of I, my goals for the APR is you offer a very consistent way of doing containers without having to worry about infrastructure, which I think is super interesting. And, and to kind of further that point with, with our locations and then your super easy use of just distributing containers uh, across all the locations, it, it can really lead to some interesting um, products or interesting developments. Like you said, like people could build these edge CDN, whatever we want to call it, services with ease of use without having to worry about a ton of underlying infrastructure, right? Because a lot of that cycle manages, which I think is really interesting, especially in the container space. Absolutely. The opportunities that our companies together, the opportunities that our companies together provide other companies and other developers is really exciting. And so as I talk about this, this you know, Edge and CDN, uh, as I talk about Edge and CDN, one question I have, um, and this is uh, like, I probably should know the answer to this and I can probably find it in a matter of like 20 seconds. But uh, remind me if uh, if the private network, so I know that there's private network functionality that, that Vulture has added within the portal. And uh, do those private networks currently extend across data centers or is that only region specific at the current time? Or, or is that like I, I know that's a question that we're just kind of dropped out there, but um, as I'm thinking about CDN, it's like, is that is that something? Currently, the currently the private networks are region specific. So if you create a private network um, in you in New, the New Jersey data center, it will exist in the New Jersey data center. As it currently, the private networks currently are region specific. Got it. And I know that's pretty normal. Um, I, I just mm -hmm. I for, I just kind of had a brain fart and it's like. I forget about that, but um, anyway, yeah, I mean, that, 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 I, I believe that that's pretty that's pretty standard. Um, but so so as we go back to talk about those locations, uh, you know, Vulture obviously has you know presence around the world, and so you know, as as, as with Cycle, you know, obviously we're we're still a growing company. We have a number of clients, but almost ninety to ninety five percent of our clients are in the U.S. I'm guessing that with Vulture, your clients are much more distributed around the world. Uh, is there any insights you can provide as to kind of what that looks like? And I guess as a follow up to that question, uh, with the support teams that you, you uh, the Vulture has, um, like, do you often encounter issues with language barriers and things like that, or is your support team uh, kind of distributed well enough as well that you can you can handle all of those needs? Uh, I I can speak on. So our website is is actually localized in i think it's six different six different six different languages uh in terms of the support team i don't know the answer to that of like if we have different support uh i guess like la different like support languages um and then your previous question was um uh it was about um what was it what it was the 
You had like, a, a question be, before that. Yeah, it was like the, the makeup of your customers, right? Like, like we're, oh, we, that's we're like, like that's 90% what of ours. What's the US. division like around the world in terms of like, are we just like a like USA brand? Uh, well, not brand, but in terms of like, are our customers mainly coming, you know, through, you know, like which like domestic place? Um, I don't have those uh, numbers for you, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if David has those. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but you know, just just if I take a kind of like a, a quick glance at like look at our load balancer product, um, that's that's a product that anybody anywhere will use, and it, I would say it's pretty. You see an even distribution. Obviously, there are going to be some places that might have a bit more, but there's no one region that outpaces uh, another. I'd say that I'm just giving you you know something that I, I look at would be load balancers. So. People around the world in all of our regions are using like that specific product, um, and if they have a load balancer, they have instances as well. So uh, I don't have specific numbers, but I would say it, it's I, I've seen you know high usage across the board in every region, which is kind of you know why we're excited to constantly expand because there is a demand um, around the globe for compute and these and these services. No, uh, that, 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 that's good to hear. And so with, uh, when you're talking about the load balancer and things, um, so I, I've, I've never played around with, uh, with Vulture's load balancer. Um, Cycle uh, implements its own uh, that way. Like Cycle's whole goal is to own the stack as much as we can. So our goal is like to consume compute and then bring every other, or have every other service just kind of built in, right? Because that way mm -hmm. Cycle is multi-cloud. If someone is using Vulture plus another provider, we don't want to have to say, hey, you know, we support this load balancer, but not this load balancer and things like that. So mm -hmm. we actually have a load balancer container package in the Cycle that will run alongside our customer stuff. But for anyone checking out uh, the, those podcasts, that might be wondering like or might be curious about running things directly on on, on vulture and consuming your your load balancer service uh can you can you dive into how that works um and uh what use cases you've seen people use it for yeah so the the load balancer it's it's a highly available load balancer so we do have multiple um failovers available to the user um so the use like the use case for load balancers right People are, it's hard to say exactly what they're building it, but we do see a lot of people using it for scaling out, building highly resilient, highly available services behind them. Um, that's usually, I would say, most of the time what we see. We see some APIs kind of sitting behind it, um, but the makeup of the load balancer, like I said, it's we, we do have multiple failovers. That way users use it, using load balancers can you know safely know that if there ever is a failure within that load balancer cluster, there are multiple failovers. So that gives us the time to kind of resolve or replace any of those nodes in that cluster um, to make sure that you always have that uptime that you need. So I would say, you know, back to your original question, how do people use it? Mostly for keeping the uptime of their critical path services, APIs, websites constantly up with multiple instances behind the load balancer. Got it. And do mo so so I know this is a maybe maybe a, a slight technical dive, but with the load balancer offering, um, if you, if someone were to have so again, this is me not using me. I have no experience with with your the specific mm -hmm. load balancer product. But if I as a user wanted to, to deploy the load balancer, or if I was using that load balancer product, um, would I 
as you mentioned, it was AJ. So there's multiple instances. Can I, as a user, see those multiple instances or do I literally just see, hey, this is a load balancer service and here's what it's gonna do? Yeah, so the, the load balancer offering that Vulture has is completely managed. We manage the entire cluster. All you see is you deploy a load balancer and that's all you see. You see um, the entry point, the, uh, the Ingress API, uh, and then you have the ability to modify a few things such as proxy protocol, define which instances you want uh, to be balanced. Um, there's private networking support. Um, between the load balancer and the attached instances, if you if you want that, um, and there's also two layers of firewalls that uh, users can also have, where you can define firewall rule sets on the load balancer cluster itself, um, and then you can also define a firewall or load balancer firewall on your set instances on the back. So you could have, let's say, you have multiple. Uh, two instances of your site, but you only ever want them to accept traffic from your load balancer, you can define a firewall rule on those instances that say only accept traffic from you know, said load balancer, and then you can define your rule set of firewalls on the load balancer. Um, as for protocols, you can define you know, HTTP, HTTPS, and TCP forwarding rules. Um, and that, that's basically it. You have flexibility to configure the load balancer as you want. Um, but you don't manage it. We we fully take care of it. Um, you all you see is a load balancer product, but we fully maintain it, so you don't have to. And is the load balancer region specific, um, or can I load balance to applications or to oh, sorry instances um, outside of the same region as the load balancer? It's it's re it's region specific. So the load balancer has to exist in the same region as uh, your set instances. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. And so um, as, as we bring everything full circle, uh, we had asked, uh, we, uh, we put out uh, a couple tweets and, uh, and messages to our community um, before the podcast for any questions people might have. And we did get, we did get two questions uh, from our community uh, that would probably be good to dive into. The first one was, uh, and I, uh, sorry, the first one was, uh, does Vulture ever expect to support GPUs? Um, I... I don't know if it's on. I don't know if it's on the roadmap or, or if if there's anything moving. I'm not sure if Walt has uh, anything to share on that. Um, but like I said before, uh, when you asked if there's any type of hints uh, or, or any kind of teasers we can give you, while I'm not sure about that specific thing, it, I wouldn't. We're always looking to involve and we're always looking to expand. So it could very well be that you know it's something on the cards, but I don't know exactly for a hundred percent of GPUs, um, is, is in the works. Got it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question either. So, <laughs> you know, it's out of my, my reign. No, no worries. And the second question we got was someone who had said, uh, I don't see cycle loss as an option on Vulture. Um, how do I test cycle? And I, that's, that's obviously more, more of a question for, for myself, but um, for anyone who is already using Vulture um, and has experience with Vulture, but wants to be able to use Cycle. <clears throat> so Cycle, the, the way to use Cycle on Vulture is a bit differently than, you know, if you wanted to use like CentOS or another operating system, uh, where with those you can deploy an instance, like the OS, et cetera, right? With Cycle, because as I mentioned earlier that it's the iPixie approach, the idea with Cycle is that you create an account at Cycle, you put in your Vulture API key, and then we will deploy that infrastructure into your Vulture account for you. 
Um, but when you go ahead and actually deploy that, that, um, those servers over at Vulture, we are going to attach an iPixie endpoint behind the scenes. So the, the, so it's still your infrastructure, your data, it's still your Vulture account. Um, you still own the infrastructure, but behind the scenes, uh, Cyclo is supplying that iPixie endpoint, uh, to make sure that those servers, uh, boot up. And so, um, so that's that. Um, but no, I, I, I want to take, thank uh, both of you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. And it was it was excellent to be able to dive into these different questions and uh, to hear you know to introduce more of our community towards uh, the team over uh, at Vulture. And uh, it, was, it was it was a great time. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having, for having us. us.